Welcome to iPad Pros, the show all about using your iPad to be productive and get work done. I'm Tim Chen, host of the show. This episode of iPad Pros is sponsored by Agenda, the date-focused note-taking app for iPad, iPhone, and Mac. Learn more at agenda.com. Without that direct-to-shortcuts integration with voice control, you could still do it. You would just have to like go to the share sheet and then go to it, and instead you can kind of just like speak it directly because voice control knows you're in the photo view. That's one that I think could be really, really useful. Welcome back to another episode of iPad Pros. We are joined by Timothy Buck, the co-host of Accessible, an accessibility-focused Apple podcast, which you can find at accessible.fm. In this episode, we'll be diving into iPadOS in general and doing a deep dive into accessibility with a focus on the new features now available with iPadOS. At the top of this episode, I just want to thank Agenda again for sponsoring this podcast and make sure everyone knows that Agenda version 9 is now available which is another major update outside of the one they did for iPadOS and iOS 13. Version 9 has a ton of new features that I'll be diving into a little later in this episode. And as a reminder, you can email me directly at iPadProsPodcast at gmail.com. Any feedback you have, please send it there. And if you haven't left a review in Apple Podcasts, I'd really encourage you right now to open up the podcast app and spend just a few minutes leaving a review. Every review goes a really long way in helping others discover the show. If you want episodes early and extra content, you can pitch in a few dollars at patreon.com slash iPadPros. Every dollar goes a long way in helping with the production of the show. Without further ado, here's my interview with Timothy Buck. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to dive a lot into accessibility today. Uh, can you first kind of introduce yourself and how you use the iPad? My name is Timothy Buck. I live in San Francisco. I'm a product manager, writer, I do some writing for Tidbits, and uh, I'm a podcaster. Uh, I have a show about accessibility with Stephen Aquino and then an interview show as well. And how I use the iPad, it's, it's actually not my primary device. I, I almost made the switch when the new iPad Pros came out, but instead I actually bought the new MacBook Air that came out about the same time. We do have a little bit older iPad Pro in our house. It's sort of like my wife and I both use whenever we feel like it. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's not it's not my uh, it's not like my primary device for getting work done necessarily. Uh, I think this will probably be the last Mac that I purchase. There were a few things that uh, were missing when those iPad Pros came out, and uh, my old MacBook Pro had actually died, and I like needed to replace it. And now that iOS 13 is out, I think literally all of those issues are resolved. So I expect uh, the next time I, I end up buying something, it'll, it'll probably be uh, an iPad. But yeah, that, that's a little bit about how I use it. Excellent. And can you share a bit about iPad OS and how that's changed the way you're able to work on the iPad now? You mentioned you have the shared iPad. How much have you been using the new, new OS and how does that change things? I just think it changes things a lot. One of the things that the, the, the multi-window, I, I, I don't remember if that's what they call it, but like just being able to open like Safari in a bunch of different windows and notes in a bunch of different windows, that alone has been huge for me. Just being able to have notes next to Safari for something that I'm researching or conversation that I'm having or whatever, like being able to do that and not, not having to be the full, like all of your notes, right? It can just be, you know, one note. You can have a separate one that's next to another Safari 
set of tabs. And it sort of just takes it from this thing that I would only use for one purpose, right? I would like come to it and I would use it for that thing. And then I would be done with it and sort of end up closing things out and coming back to it to do one thing the next time I came back. And now I feel like I could sort of use it more the way that I use my Mac and be doing some research on notes in Safari another section be doing some other sort of research or be you know just like on twitter or whatever and i I don't know i just think that core change of this idea of having multiple versions of the same app open it just sort of changed everything for me what have been the big third-party apps that have been updated so far that have been really impactful for your kind of workflows that you use your ipad for the core apps are obviously like the primary ones that have been updated there are a few others that stick out i know things i use things as my task manager and I think that the update's really nice and I've enjoyed some of the changes that it has, some of the stuff that it can now do. I haven't tried yet, but I watching their uh, reading their article and I think Max Stories wrote about it as well. They talk about how it integrates with shortcuts differently and it also integrates with Siri differently. And the way that now with Siri you can ask things to create a new task and then also it will respond with like where do you want to put it and you can put it in a certain like category and then it may you can you basically set it up to like ask follow-on questions yeah. however many you want so you could say it, it could then ask you like what day do you want it to be and you could set the date or tags location like in your organization however i, I found that I haven't tried it yet but it looks like something that i will use that's super cool and things is one of the few apps i've seen to actually support keyboard shortcuts to initiate a new window so it's like command end or something similar to create a new window and you can close a window with that as well that's really killer i hope more apps use keyboard shortcuts to actually allow you to open more windows like you can on the mac yep completely agreed and widgets any new widgets you're finding yourself using on the ipad now that those are on the home screen i don't think any new i think i, I use the carrot weather widget and I use the the shortcuts widget, uh, deliveries. The main one, honestly, is shortcuts. And then the Siri app suggestions, I think, is, is really good. That tends to have, both on my phone and iPad, it shows what I want to open a lot of times. Yeah, that thing's pretty smart with predictive. Yeah, th- at this point, like on my iPhone in particular, I, I have pretty much everything in folders. Yeah, I, I don't really tap on the icon directly anymore. I always just like kind of swipe down and the series suggestions usually shows what I'm going to want to... Well, I don't even have to search for it most of the time. It yeah. just shows the next app I'm going to use. And then using iPod OS, is there anything that didn't seem like a big deal when you first heard about it that when actually using it became a bigger deal to you that would probably slide over i think that's what they call it it's like yeah sort of like the phone the little swipe out section that's like the phone sized window they had that before ipad os but now it kind of works a lot more like your phone where you can have a whole bunch of different apps there and you can sort of swipe between them that is really huge for me and i actually wish there was something like that on the mac right because i like to do full screen apps on the mac and that would be really cool because things like music music where you just want it to be available there or messages so now like if i am sitting there and i'm working in notes and safari and doing my thing i don't have to like swipe entirely away to another set of of windows that are just like separately open the music app or or whatever it may be Uh, instead i can just sort of have my handful of little apps 
there on the screen that I just swipe in from the right and swipe between. I'm trying to think of what I usually have in there. The music app, uh, Overcast, like whichever one I happen to be listening to at the time. And then sort of like iMessage, I think works really well there too. One of the things I like is how now you can pull down from a notification. Somebody messages you and if you didn't, you know, you can just like pull on that notification and turn it into a little slide over window right there. I've used that. I, that just feels very like natural and uh, seems it's a very apple thing to do. Yeah, for sure. And it's an iPhone plus in the fact that uh, you get multi-window support there too. So you could have like five Safari windows right there on your mini iPhone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Have you found yourself reducing the number of third-party apps or first-party apps you're using now that you can have a single text editor in multiple spaces and multiple windows? I think it is more impacted the way that I approach the iPad, especially because it it is still my secondary device. Mm -hmm. I can see how for some people who were trying to use it for one of those situations where you're taking notes and you're also like doing research on five different things at the same time you would really need like several different apps to be able to do that well before i just didn't do that i I instead would just stick with you know notes i use ia writer as well and i'm going to keep doing that because i use them for different things i i don't really see myself reducing it because i wasn't really using it in that pro sort of way before Gotcha. So let's shift gears a bit to accessibility, kind of the main topic of today. Can you first kind of share what features you use on a regular basis and kind of your relationship to accessibility? I know you host a podcast about accessibility. Yeah, sure. I sort of mentioned this before. I host a podcast called Accessible with Stephen Aquino. He's an accessibility expert, and he uses a large swath of different accessibility features all the time to use his iPad and phone and watch and everything. He's really the person who got me interested in accessibility in the first place. We met on Twitter and then how we just became good friends and uh, have spent a lot of time talking about this kind of stuff. I, I really personally use two features. One of them is bold text, particularly on like the watch and on my phone now as well. It does what it says. It just makes the text bold. I find that I, I like that better than changing the font size up. I'm not really looking for the larger font size, but the boldness allows me to see the text better, and I find that really helpful. And then the second one that I use is the magnifier, and I actually recommend that most people do this. So the magnifier is very similar to your camera. A lot of people use their camera for this. Like they'll take a picture of something small or far away and then they'll zoom in on it to read it. And the magnifier kind of just does that. It's built with that in mind. Uh, And so when you turn it on, if you tap the side button on the right side of your phone three times, it opens up what looks a a lot like the camera app. But instead of being the camera app, it is instead this like magnifier tool that allows you to maybe like read the numbers on the back of a credit card or a whole bunch of different things. And it, it also has a little camera button there as well. So you can take a picture of it. But it's specifically designed with taking away a lot of the other camera functionality and instead like making it easier to zoom in and out. And uh, this is one that I recommend like pretty much everybody turn on, especially those in my life who are older, like my parents. I turn this on for them and uh, everyone I've ever like shown this to, especially those who have like eyesight problems are just like, yes, this is great. Because there are just always those situations where there's something you need to read that's too small. Magnifier is for taking things in the real world that are too small and making them bigger so you can actually see them. Very cool. And yeah, especially with the newer phones, those cameras are getting super good to be able to do something like this. Yeah, for sure. So switching gears to iOS 13 features, accessibility was kind of 
a star in iOS 13 uh, with voice control, mouse support, and there's full screen navigation with your keyboard as well. Let's start with voice control. So voice control was back in the iPhone 3GS era, uh, a little bit different now. I almost think this is just like an entirely different thing. Uh, I mean, they kept the name because, yeah. I mean, it, it it's pretty ex- it's explanatory, right? Right. <laughs> but before, voice control was like pre-Siri, the, the original, and it, and it kind of did some of the Siri stuff, right? Totally. Uh, you could like set timers, you could do like a few little things like that with voice control. But it really wasn't that that powerful, and and this now is is really amazing. The video that they showed at WWDC was pretty compelling, I, I think. Yeah. So can you kind of go through what voice control is on a broad term and kind of who it's for? Really, like simply put, it, it it does what it says. It allows you to control your devices just with your voice, and this is actually on uh, iOS for your phone, on iPad OS, and also on Mac OS. This is a feature that's available across the board. It's meant for for people who have trouble controlling their devices in other ways. So a, a lot of times people who have upper body disabilities and maybe can't move their arms in, in a way to move a mouse or uh, touch their iPad, this is really, really good for them. There has been uh, other functionality that works for people with these types of disabilities as well, like switch control does something very similar, and it allows people to move around with, with a switch, like a, a, a third-party hardware device to, to move things around. But th- this is really, really good for, for people like that. And I, I believe in the video, actually, the person in the video had a switch as well. But what voice control does is it, it's more than just uh, Siri-type functionality of like, hey, uh, do this thing for me. It allows you to say, okay, let's say um, open notes and then begin transcribing a note. Say you transcribe a whole paragraph and then you say end paragraph, start new paragraph, and it, it does that. And then you can do some really cool editing things by saying like change and name the word and it'll then change that word. It allows people to just with their voice to do a, a wide variety of things, even like editing photos and going through maps and doing gestures and a huge number of, of things that were just not really possible just with voice before. I think some of the text to speech features around like editing text have been available in the past on, I think it's called Dragon Speech. That was, and still is, really, really good for, you know, within a text editor. But this is broader than that in that it's a a system-wide function that allows you to use that same Dragon Speech the drag whatever you just called it type functionality in like messages as well so if somebody wanted to write a long text message and go back and edit different words again without touching the device at all whether this is a mac or an iphone or an ipad this person could speak a whole message and then go back and change the word like hello to hi very easily by just saying delete hello uh, or you could also say change hello to hi, and it will do that. Uh, there's a little bit of a learning curve in that you, you do kind of have to know uh, what the commands are, but I think we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things that's also really cool is it works entirely offline. So you could be in the middle of a forest with no cell phone mm-hmm. service and be talking to your device and that all works. Yeah. One of the other things that really blew my away in the video was it also has this uh, attention detection type thing. So like me, I am right now, I'm in front of a Mac, but I also have my, my phone with me, right? Uh, a person using this voice control functionality could be uh, in the same place, have their Mac in front of them and have their phone in front of them. And they can be speaking to their Mac, 
doing a whole bunch of stuff in Safari and then look down at their phone and their phone now knows that they're looking at it. They could, you know, reply to an, a message on their phone and their Mac won't assume that, you know, you're still talking to the Mac and instead knows uh, because there's some way in which all of your Apple devices are talking to each other. Oh, so it creates like a little mini network. Yeah, I, I don't fully understand how it works, but I do know that like the Mac doesn't have the ability to know that you're looking at it. So yeah. it must be taking the ability, like your phone obviously does, like a, you know, the iPhone 10 and newer has that ability. So like if I am looking at my phone, it knows that it then assumes that I'm speaking to my phone and must... Again, I don't know if this is exactly how it works, but it, it, it seems to me that it, the phone must be telling the Mac, this person's no longer talking to you anymore. Yeah, probably over the same kind of Apple Watch unlocking your Mac technology of local Bluetooth. Yeah, need to test that out a little bit more to see like how well it works. But it was in the video. It, it goes pretty quickly, but that was the one thing that stood out to me of like, whoa, like that is a thing that has not been available to people who have these types of disabilities before. Um, switching between devices in that way has, has kind of been difficult. And this is going to open that up in a really amazing way, especially if it works well. Yeah. So you need Face ID, iPhone, and then your iPad would have to be a Face ID iPad as well for that to work in that context. Yeah, I think so. The, in the video, they showed it on a Mac, right, which doesn't have Face ID. Right. So yeah. maybe just one of your devices needs it, right? Right. If it's a iPad and a phone, if your phone had Face ID and you're looking at that, maybe it tells your iPad, yeah, don't listen. Maybe. Right. And, and, and possibly the other way around, right? If you had like a, like a new iPad with Face ID and you yep. still had an old phone. Again, I haven't tested that myself, but that is, uh, I even spoke to Steven about this and we're kind of assuming the same things there about, we think that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Now, something I ran across is just using this is I'll listen to the podcast during the day and uh, dictation mode is kind of always enabled. Uh, there is a way to just say command mode where mm -hmm. you don't have that problem where it's um it's pretty good about having you know just audio playing in the background with with people talking and you're able to just talk to your iPad cuz in podcasts most of the time they won't say go home and stuff like that. <laughs> right, yeah. As far as controlling your device, the grid system is something that I'm struggling to get my head around how this all works. I know you can say, you know, show grid but how do you actually interact with these grids and make those useful? So you can turn on grid, right? But I think the the, the grid is is not required. Show numbers is really, I think, the, the key phrase that people will use. The grid just helps the numbers be a little bit more uh, like easy to see and use. Um, so like if I'm looking at... Uh, the show numbers works in a bunch of different ways. So if, if I'm in Safari and I have a bunch of tabs open, right, without before this, it would be it would be difficult without without a switch or something to, to go between these different tabs. Right. And now you can say uh, show numbers and it will put numbers uh, like the tab on the far left will be one and it'll put a number next to each tab. Then you can, you know, say four and it will then open the, the fourth tab in Safari and and very similarly like that that is a an easier use case in that it's just like taking a the things on the screen that you could do and putting a number on them and then you can just call out the number and it'll do that thing yep yeah the number system works great for me you know just say number and it taps it yeah and and that's how the grid thing kind of works as well right like the grid isn't applied in that situation but if you're looking at a map right 
give you an Apple Maps, and and you say sh- show grid. Uh, uh, my understanding is that that basically just adds the grid to the map, but then you also then say show numbers, and it'll put a number on like each point in the grid, and then you call out that number, and it will like zoom in to that section of the map. Okay, gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was used more. The grid was used more for the pinching and things like that, the more gesture-type work that you need to do sometimes. Yeah, I don't think so. So, like, uh, for pinching and and things like that, uh, you can just say that. So there are phrases. Again, there's a lot that you have to sort of, like, learn here terminology-wise. You can say, if you've clicked on something, you can say, drag that, and it will then drag that thing. You can also say, long press on, and it will long press on a given like whatever you say, object, right? Like long press on Safari icon, and it will then long press on the Safari icon. There's a whole bunch of custom ones that you can set as well in uh, accessibility, customized commands, then like advanced gestures as like the third layer down there. It shows a bunch of advanced gestures that you can have it do, and you can change, and, and this is actually good to know for voice control in general, but you can make changes to basically what the commands are so that it's it's good for you. If maybe it doesn't understand the way you say a certain thing very well, you can switch that. Or if you just use a different terminology, you can switch it to whatever you want it to be, really. You can also add vocabulary, which I think is helpful. Sometimes it doesn't know the words that you're using. <laughs> so this is kind of like one of those things I wish we could do for Siri as well, right? Because it's being used for this particular context, right? Like that's really, really important to be able to add vocabulary. And you just kind of add the word and can do a word or phrase and you can uh, have it recognize that thing. So yeah, I'm looking at the the overlay section. You can set three different things. You can have it just do numbers. You can have it do names next to different items. If you were were in Safari and you had a whole bunch of tabs open, right, and uh, they were too small to be able to see what the name of the tab was, you can tell it to show the names and it would give a name to each one of the tabs and you can call that out. Do you know if there's a certain naming convention for how that works? Is there way so you don't need to show it and you can just kind of learn how apps name things yeah that's interesting i was looking so the way i was trying to figure that out I, i kind of had the same question so the way i was trying to figure that out is i went to that place i mentioned before in customize commands and it shows all of the basic ones there i'm looking at it now just so i can talk to you but again accessibility voice control customize commands and there's a section like let's say overlays uh you can say show numbers show numbers continuously hide numbers show names show names continuously if you look through it there's like a certain type of like verb that is typically used so like show and hide are to make things appear and disappear tap is what they use for like to select a thing you can say choose all and i was looking at the basic gestures uh, they're kind of just the word that you would use uh like instead of swipe it says scroll so like you can say scroll left or scroll right yeah the interesting there's a difference between scroll and pan pan is kind of how we would think of scrolling and then scrolling is like how you would think of it as like grabbing the scroll bar and just dropping down to a certain level. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So like, I don't know how to answer that question other than if you actually look at all of them, there does seem to be some sort of like basic vocabulary like approach to move a thing around text. You can tell it to move it down or up or left or right or to the beginning or to the end. All of those, like I'm looking, there's like tons and tons of options here. They all start with move. So I think voice control is really looking for those like action words first. And I think once you kind of know the action words like move or scroll or zoom, the one that seemed a little weird to me was decrement is like one of the default ones, like increment and decrement. Yeah. That's just not like a word I would typically (laughs) use, No, Um, but that is the default. So I think like if, if you are going to try this out or know somebody who could use this, I would definitely suggest going into that customized command section and you can just like look at all of the different commands and sort of like learn them in that way. There are tons of them, like hundreds and hundreds of them. A lot of them are are easy once you know that it's like, oh, move up, down, left, right. Others are like increment and decrement. Like I never would have known that unless I looked at the list. And it integrates with Siri shortcuts as well. You can even do like custom commands for when you're in the mail app listen for this one command for this one shortcut, but when I'm in all the other apps, don't pay attention to that. Yeah. What are some of the most useful shortcuts you think that could be used in this way? The ones that stood out to me are like photo-based things. I know I do one a lot where like, if I take a screenshot on my phone, you put the screenshot inside a mock-up of an iPhone. That is one that I would want to have visible right after I took a screenshot, right? And it's like, I'm editing the screenshot. I can just speak to it and... Uh, it will open that specific shortcut. And that actually speeds things up because without that direct to shortcuts integration with voice control, you could still do it. You would just have to like go to the share sheet and then go to it. And instead you can kind of just like speak it directly because voice control knows you're in the photo view. That's one that I think could be really, really useful or whatever you do to your photos. Maybe people don't do that to their photos, but there are other shortcuts with photos, like combining a whole bunch of photos into a collage or like there's so many things, turning it into a GIF, any sort of photo-based shortcut I think would be really good for this situation. Yeah, no, that that's, that, that's a really good idea. Anything else from voice control that we didn't cover that you want to before we move to mouse support? One thing that I, I, we sort of mentioned it, like text editing is amazing on it. It's really, really cool. Definitely check that part out in, in particular. I think that's a thing that may be used by an, an even wider audience, even if you don't need these features because of an upper body disability. You may want to walk around your office and dictate your great novel. <laughs> this could be a way to do that. Yeah, there's no uh, timer where it'll just stop listening. Exactly right. So like uh, that that's obviously been the problem with, with Siri. Right? You have to hit it and then it times out and then you have to do it again. In this case, you can just keep speaking and you can say new paragraph and you can say like, you know, end sentence. You can add commas. I mean, stuff's very similar to Siri and that you can add commas and periods and capitalize and all that stuff, but even much further than that as well. Yeah. And I mentioned it on a prior episode, but there's full music playback controls just ambiently listening to you. So you can just at any time say next track, pause, shuffle music, volume up, like just music control just ambiently is a great use of this, even if you don't need this feature. Yeah, that's cool. This episode of iPad Pros is sponsored by Agenda, the date-focused note-taking app for iPad, iPhone, and Mac. Agenda, if you didn't know, just released version 9, which is another significant update following up on their previous big update just a few weeks ago for iPadOS and iOS 13. So what's new? 
Well, for premium users is the ability to archive projects that you've completed and the ability to create subcategories, which really is a huge addition and something I've already started to take full advantage of. They've also updated the pin notes feature to expand it to include the ability to make footnotes, which pin notes to the bottom of your project rather than the top. New for everyone is the ability to manually reorder the projects and categories in your sidebar. There's also now a trash bin in the sidebar where you can review what you've trashed and confirm that you do in fact want to delete those notes. Or if you've mistakenly trashed a note, you can now restore those notes. For those that love automation, version 9 added for both free and premium users X callback URLs for opening smart overviews and triggering searches. Another automation improvement is you can now create projects with X callback URLs. Agenda 9 also adds a show info option in the contextual menu of projects and notes. For projects, this provides insights into when those projects were created and edited, how many notes are in the project, how many attachments that project has, what the file size of that project is, the edit history so you can look up what devices recently edited that project. For notes, you gain insights into the statistics of that note, including reading time, word and character count, and when that note was created. Beyond these changes, there are around 50 other additional updates and fixes that make Agenda that much more polished and powerful, including a couple of new keyboard shortcuts. Agenda, if you haven't tried it out, is a really great note-taking app that thoughtfully integrates your calendar and reminders into your notes. If you're like me and have been frustrated in the past by trying to use your to-do app as both your note-taking app and your task manager, then give Agenda a shot. It really is the right tool for the job and something I use to manage my projects. As a reminder, part of what I love about Agenda is that when you upgrade to get the premium Agenda features, you aren't signing up for a yearly subscription plan. You get to keep every premium feature that is released in the next 12 months, and only if Agenda delivers new premium features you think are worth paying for, do you have to pay again. The developers, as you just heard with the second big update since iPadOS launched, are constantly working on making you happy as a premium customer to earn your business again and again. To learn more, go to Agenda.com. Download Agenda today for free from the App Store. Thanks again to Agenda for sponsoring this episode of iPad Pros. Learn more at www.agenda.com. Smile support. Uh, What is assistive touch before iOS 13? In iOS 12 and prior, what was this feature that everyone is now so excited about because of the mouse? The thing that I remember is back when there was the home button, a lot of people would turn this on if their home button broke. Yeah, in certain markets, people would do this because there was a history of the iPhone 4, I believe, having a bad home button. Yep. And it's just like... People would like to sell their devices with pristine home buttons that have never been touched. (laughs) And I had friends who their home button did actually break. And instead of paying to replace it, it basically puts sort of like a home button on the screen. And then when you tap it, it shows uh, whatever you want to show there. So it, it sort of gives you a little menu of things. And in the settings, accessibility settings, you can put a whole bunch of other stuff there as well. So you could put a shortcut to a specific app. There's like a million different things that you can put there. It's really, really good functionality. It could be like zooming in and out functionality. If you needed to see things better, it could be a, a bunch of other accessibility features, or it could just be like links to things that you care about that can be put there. So that's sort of like what it started as, and it still is. And was there any pointer at all prior? Were there like accessibility devices that were designed to be used with assistive touch for 
a pointing device at all or no? I guess it kind of depends on how you define a switch. So like a, a switch is similar to a, a mouse, but it doesn't just sort of like move around the screen the same way as a mouse. It, it instead sort of like goes from selector to selector. If you were at the like the bottom left item on your dock, right, you can hit the switch to the right and it would go one next to it and be like this, the second from the left icon on your home screen. And you could just kind of like tap the switch to move between them. And there are other taps that allow you to like select them and that kind of thing. So switch control is, it's not mouse control. It's not why it's not widely used by uh, people who, who don't need it for accessibility specific reasons. Uh, whereas I think this assistive touch mouse support feature will be used. But like, as far as I know, there weren't anything that was sort of like mouse like before other than switch support. There were like third party mice that worked, but those were, yeah, the Citrix X1 mouse worked. Yep, yep, exactly. With a couple of apps, Jump Desktop, which was a favorite of mine. Yep. Do you see yourself using a mouse with an iPhone or an iPad now that you can? I, I don't really use a mouse with my... Okay, I use like the trackpad on my Mac, right? And I, I guess I could use a trackpad on an iPad as well. That just feels weird. I, I don't know. Uh, like the people that I've seen doing it tend to like like using a mouse mouse. Yeah, there's more functionality because you get all the mouse buttons that you can customize. Right, exactly. Whereas if you're you're just using like a trackpad, it, I could see myself doing that in a situation where like I was needing to touch the screen a lot and with a keyboard attached. I'm not in that situation right now because I do like primarily use my Mac for that type of thing. I think like the Logitech MX Master is like one that a lot of people like to use with this because like you were mentioning, you can set the different buttons like the MX Master has a whole bunch of buttons on it, right? It's not just like left and right click. And you can set those to do specific things, right? You can have them run shortcuts or you can have them do long presses or whatever you want it to do. Like the basic example would be the left button would allow you to just like tap on something and the right button, like a right click would be the long press. And so instead of actually having to wait for the long press, you can just like hit the right and it just says this is a long press and you, you kind of, it works the same way that a right click on a mouse would work. I could see this also being useful if you have your iPhone on some kind of dock kind of out of arm's reach. You could have a little mouse next to your, your trackpad at your desk to like interact with your oh, yeah. iPhone um, re- remotely a little bit. That's funny. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. That's an interesting use case. And something I noticed, mouse keys. It's how did these work? Do you know? Is this it sounds like a number pad can be used as a mouse? Is that accurate? Yeah, I believe this has been a thing on the Mac for a while. So basic idea is like if you have a keyboard attached that has a number pad, so like oftentimes that would be like seven, eight, nine across the top and then four, five, six, one, two, three, zero, and then maybe like a decimal like that's a pretty common like layout of number pad right Mm -hmm. and like the eight would be up the two would be down the four would be left the six would be right and then like the others would sort of like be diagonal so you can kind of hit like if you want to move the mouse all the way to the top you would just sort of hold down the eight and it would move up Uh, if you wanted to move it diagonally like left and up you would hit the seven and hold that down and you can it, i haven't found it like particularly easy to use just because i don't need that but for people who do it gives them another way to 
to use a mouse. Gotcha. And then drag lock. What is this exactly and how do you use it? The basic idea would be like right now with your finger, if I wanted to drag a thing, I would have to like, let's say I want to move something on my home screen, right? Mm -hmm. I hold it down till it wiggles. Then I begin to move it. And if I lift my finger from the screen, then it will stop being dragged and it'll land wherever it lands on the screen, right? Yeah. When you turn on drag lock, what it allows you to do is take your finger off and it stays mid-drag. So it just stops there. And if you then like put your finger on it again and move it around, you can keep doing that. So this is good for situations like if you're trying to move it to a part of the screen, that's kind of hard to get it there for you. And you you have some sort of accessibility need where that's difficult to maybe move things around your screen in a dragging type of way. You can kind of like rest your hand and pick it up and maybe move the device and then put your finger back down and move it. And the way that like dropping works is you have to like tap to say that you're done with the move. So you tap on the object that you're dragging. Yeah, like you end it with a tap. So like if I wanted to drag from the bottom right of my home screen to the top left, right now I would have to move all the way there and then let go. With this turned on, you could move halfway, lift your finger, and then put your finger back down, not tapping it, right? Like putting your finger down and dragging again and take it now to the top. And then now that I'm there, I would take my finger off and just tap and it will drop it. So that works for any sort of drag type thing. And that also, I, I believe that with that turned on, that also works if you have a mouse attached. So like, it's just when the mouse is doing the dragging, you can also have drag locked on. Okay, gotcha. I don't believe this is a feature you can just turn on through the accessibility menu. This is something you have to go inside of settings app and switch on and off if it's something you want to toggle between right yeah it is okay i believe it it's it's like a base accessibility feature it's not yeah you have to like turn it on for as far as i know yeah i think you could theoretically add it as an option in the assistive touch little pop-up thing oh yeah that's a good idea for that yeah and then you're, you're now able to navigate the entire os with your keyboard which i'm not sure if you'd find this more useful or if you know, touches kind of still the way you'll interact with your iOS devices. I think this will be nice, right? If you are doing a lot of typing, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people like to write on their devices. And if, if you, I know like when I'm typing on my Mac, I, I don't have to use the mouse that much, right? I know a lot right. of shortcuts. I know a lot of ways to get around. And I definitely still use the mouse, you know, to edit text and select things and that kind of stuff. But you don't have to, right? On iPad now, there's just a lot more, keyboard support and i doubt anybody is going to go entirely keyboard but i think what's cool is if you want to use it you can and you use whatever percentage of it you you use where do you see accessibility going in the future what's missing to make devices more accessible for people that isn't there right now yeah i think the the main one that sticks out to me is uh, understanding voices so like uh, one of the big things that we talk about a lot uh, in this community is, you know, Siri and Alexa and uh, Google Assistant and what they can do and can't do and like connecting all of that stuff with short Siri with, you know, Siri shortcuts and all that stuff. Uh, HomePods, all that, that, that whole world uh, is, is really cool and it is accessible in a lot of ways, right? Uh, for people who can speak much uh, more easily than they can maybe move their hands. 
uh, for people who have trouble speaking, that is an area where it's not particularly accessible. So if I have a stutter or if I have a really strong accent because, you know, English or whatever language is my second or third or fourth language, that these systems, all of them, really, uh, not just Siri, they're terrible, right? They're, they're really bad. So like that, I think, is, is very clearly like uh, an option, like a, a place that there could be a lot of growth. And I think Google actually announced, and I I'm, I'm, don't remember the name of it, an, an initiative where uh, for this in particular, they've requested that people who have non-standard speech patterns like send in themselves speaking so that Google can use it to train. So like right now, all of these systems use like big swaths of voices, right? Purchased or maybe not purchased, right? Like they just use voices speaking and they to train their models. The problem is like those voices speaking have standard speech patterns. So they're the average person's voice. So that is how all of these systems have gotten pretty good at understanding the average person speaking, but they don't include non-standard speech patterns. People with lisps, people with like other, other speech impediments, right? Google, again, they haven't built anything with this yet. They just put out the call saying, hey, we want to make this particular feature better. Can you send us your voice? You know, like, obviously, like, telling them, like, I want this, right? They're not like, this isn't a, a, a privacy thing. They're asking people to send them whatever data they have. Not ongoing, just, like, record themselves speaking and send it in. So I thought uh, that was a, a cool thing to hear about. And I hope that, you know, the uh, others are doing that as well. And as you began talking about this, it also made me come to mind if voice control could be configured to only pay attention to your voice, how mm-hmm. cool would that be? So you could be listening to a podcast or someone could be talking to you and it wouldn't just totally overtake what you're doing because it would know that's not you talking. That would be really awesome. Any other comments about iOS 13, iPad OS, or accessibility in general? I guess I would just end with, for those of you who don't know much about accessibility, this stuff matters. If you build an app, think about accessibility while you're building it. I know a lot of people who listen to these types of shows are developers or designers or product people or you know work in some sort of tech company. See if your app is accessible, right? Uh, even if it's not an iOS app, if it's a web app, if it's a website, make sure that, uh, and this is a thing that I am still working on, right? Like I use Squarespace for my websites and I've done as much as I can with the limitation of Squarespace to make things as accessible as possible. It's not perfect. There's definitely more that we can all do to make sure that our whatever we have, website, app, podcast, whatever, is is accessible by other people. Those types of changes are, they're like zero to one type changes, right? Like yeah. uh, they're, they're, they're not like, oh, my phone is like 20% faster. It's I didn't have the ability to use a phone and now I can. Yeah. Right? Like that's the types of changes that a lot of these accessibility features have. And that could be true for your app too. Like I couldn't see it. If if I have like bad eyesight, there are people out there who can't use whoever's app at all. And if you make it like, you know, have good contrast and work with, if it's an iOS app, work with font changes that are made like globally with dynamic type and that kind of stuff, then like your app, is, is not just a little bit better, it's available. And that is that can be life-changing to people. So uh, that would just sort of be my call to anybody who doesn't know very much about it or hasn't thought about it for their project. Think about it. Yeah, excellent. 
Well, where can people find more information about what you do and the work you do? Yeah, my uh, my show with Stephen is accessible.fm. That's where you can find us on the uh, internet. We're everywhere where you get podcasts as well if you just search accessible. I have another show called Unco. It's an interview podcast, unco.fm. And then my personal site is where you can find some of my writing. It's timothybuck.me. I do some writing for tidbits as well as personal writing. Uh, but you can find all of that there. And then on Twitter, I'm at TimothyBuckSF. So follow me, DM me. Uh, my DMs are open. I'm open to a conversation if you have any questions. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time, Timothy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Well, that was my interview with Timothy Buck. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Timothy, for his time recording this episode. As a reminder, you can find his podcast, Accessible, at www.accessible.fm. And thanks again to Agenda for sponsoring this episode. Really, go out and download Agenda today. Version 9 is now out. It's got a ton of great new features. And give it a shot. It's my favorite tool for managing these projects that incorporate dates but are really mainly about the notes and content I'm working on rather than a pure task manager. So go out and download Agenda, even if you're just going to use it as a free app. It doesn't get obtrusive with ads or anything like that. That's not even in there. It is a great free app with some awesome premium features for if you want to upgrade later on down the line. And as a reminder, if you do have feedback for me, you can email me directly at ipadprospodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't left a review, head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review. With that, thank you so much for listening, for your time and attention. And I'll talk to everyone again real soon.